Uh, uh, wrong, wrong opening, opening sort of, but right, it's all right. That's another show we're doing. Uh, it's all the same. Christianity Today, Heart of the Matter. Welcome, guys and gals. Thanks for joining us. Our program tonight is titled The 12-Step Program. Why don't we begin with a prayer? Lord, we need you in all things and uh, seek your spirit and help us to uh, understand your ways. And uh, we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, got a lot on our mind and heart tonight, so let's get to it. it. Uh, as I've met with pastors over the past few weeks, I've heard their hearts, read their words. I realize that I am communicating with men who have a Christian worldview that I no longer maintain. It's really been fascinating to sit and hear my brothers in Christ talk, but they're talking in a language that is now old to me. It's in a way that's different. And, and uh, I, think I think it's important, important to, try to try to explain a couple points as to how this is. is. When, when speaking with these guys, guys I, I realize that, that they take the Bible, if this is the Bible, and they really, truly, they really, truly believe that its contents are directly applicable to material life today. They actually believe that what Paul was talking about in, in the things is exactly what should be going on right now. And they use the book as a manual for both doing church, how they run their churches, and how they believe the entire church world should operate. And I won't talk about the obvious issues with this approach. We've done that, but uh, the issues don't matter that much. They have their views and their opinions and their approaches. And as long as they're able to convince themselves that they're in harmony with the content of that book materially, um, they're a-okay with themselves. And this is the way the world of organized Christianity has pretty much been and operated for the past couple thousand years. Uh, every man attempting to physically direct others according to what they think the manual is saying. And, and as I've looked into their eyes and heard their hearts, they're all really trying to be honorable to what the content of that book is, and yet they all are different in, in what they are prescribing. So it's a fascinating study. With this view in hand, they also then operate under the opinion that all believers should also operate by the same worldview. And so when they talk to you, they speak to you as if you should naturally engage and participate in the same rules in the same worldview of that game. And uh, it's just a given, it's an expectation. And that's kind of the order of things, by golly. Now listen, that should be the order of things, their worldview. It should be the order of things if this church is Christ's and he is coming back to get it. They are operating on the right platform. Oh, we are really messed up with that platform because no one's really doing it right and we're all different and we're all divided, but that platform should be in place, that New Testament model, if Jesus is still coming back to get his church. So that being, being said, I do not see the faith uh, 
as this being the best optimal way to view it. And it certainly can be done this way, and that's why we have Christian churches all over the world. Uh, but I think they've proved themselves somewhat of a fail. Uh, so how do I see the faith? What's so different about my worldview compared to my brothers in Christ? We're brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm not alone in this, in this worldview, but I see the book as being inspired and true and full of wisdom from God, but fulfilled. And completely, I see it as inspired writings of the living apostles, New Testament, which were necessary... The, the apostles were necessary to bring Christ's church through tumultuous times until he came back and took it, fulfilled everything that he promised to do. So from the prophecies of him in the Old Testament to the writings of his birth and his life and his death and his resurrection and his return, all of those things are there in the book and have occurred. Somewhere along the line, we decided that we need to slip a gap in. That all of those things about Jesus are in the book, but there's a gap that is telling us things still need to occur. And that is where that gap is closed in my mind and in other people's minds who are believers. We're called full preterists. Some people are partial preterists. And we believe that 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 book is really representative of everything that's been done if you're a full preterist. So all the uh, prophets who wrote, they assured that he was coming back. And Jesus, he promised his apostles he would come back within a generation. And Jesus was not wrong. His apostles were not wrong. And what people say today to explain the tenor of their comments is, they were wrong. They thought, they, they thought he was coming back. Jesus, uh, it's the most embarrassing passage of scripture, Matthew 24, 34, where Jesus says within a generation. I mean, R.C. Sproul, one of the great uh, Calvinist thinkers says, look at that is, that, that passage is so difficult. We need to rethink how we're viewing it. And so uh, God says, listen, after the completion of this, the things in this book, after that, God says in the Old Testament and in the New, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days of this book. Okay? And we learn from Paul that we are all Israel by faith. So this is how I will relate to all who are Israel after the contents of this book are done. And God says this, I will put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all will know me from the least to the greatest. This is the age where, yes, darkness still fights against the light, but Satan has been that. Remember, the book's complete. So in that book, it tells us that Satan would be cast in the lake of fire. That has happened. Demons cast in the lake of fire. Is darkness still on the earth? Sure, darkness existed before Satan did. So darkness still, men still choose darkness. But uh, lake of fire, hell, demon, demonic angels, all cast, fulfilled, done. The evil that is here is the darkness influencing men against the light. 
So this is the age where the victory has been had. And it has been that age for 2,000 years. It's God winning through his son Jesus Christ. An age where the heavenly Jerusalem is abiding in the lives of those who love God more than they love this world. And those people have existed for 2,000 years, and they continue to. And he hasn't come in 2,000 years because he's not coming. He already came because the Bible tells us so. Now, when you sit with people with that perspective, your understanding of the faith and church and Christianity and all the things that my friends are all bent on doing perfectly according to the book, your worldview is completely different from what they say and think. And it's just, it's just like, you know how when you talk to somebody who's of a, a really messed up uh, 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 faith, you know, and you talk to them and you're like, how could you be so blind? That is what comes across is, and, and, and I'm not alone. You know, if you go and you look at Don Preston, he came here and he did debates and stuff. This is his forte. He, he was challenged to teach eschatology, and he said, okay, I'm going to teach it the way he was taught, Church of Christ way, and he goes to teach it, and his eyes open to what the Scripture says. My eyes open to what the Scripture said. I was seeking, the, and so we are talking from different universes when it comes to what the faith is. The material applications to doing church are done. You can meet in a building. You can meet in a house. You cannot meet at all. You can meet at a McDonald's lobby. You can do whatever you're going to do because God has written his law upon our hearts and, we, and he is our God and we are his people and his spirit is calling to those who are his and bringing them to him, church or no church. The churches are not doing anything to improve what the Holy Spirit is doing by himself or itself, as it were. So... When we take the Bible and we try to say it has objective demands, it leads to nothing but division, infighting, sectarianism, denominationalism, and uh, materialism. Because it's a mis misapplication of its purpose in our lives, to be a map to our spiritual lives with God. So when we see it and accept it for what it says, and that's it, everyone will then be free from playing church. And all the differences will break down. And we will just see each other as brothers and sisters, believers. Yeah, I study here. I also study there. And I say, oh, yeah, here and there. No memberships, none of this stuff. No big buildings, blah, blah, blah. You know, it seems like a really fanciful idea today because we are built on so much material church. But that's, what, that's how I see it. All right. Let's do some quick updates about what's happening in the state under the auspices of this total transparency and us trying to get things changed here so for people to be out from bondage. I called apologist James White uh, today in Arizona, uh, left two messages, waiting for him to get back. He did call and say he would be on the show next year, early next year, so I think that will happen. Uh, last week I said that I texted Jason Wallace, Pastor Jason Wallace, and that I hadn't heard anything back from him. The reason I hadn't heard anything back from uh, Pastor Wallace is because I had texted uh, a message to a phone number that was his house phone. I didn't know that. Uh, Jason emailed me and he said he never got a text and uh, I discovered that it was his house phone and he, uh, he wanted to know if I would apologize for that. So I'm apologizing. I didn't know it was your house phone. 
I'm sorry I sent a text message to it. Um, he then asked me what did the text say, and I summarized it in an email. I said, Jason, how about a truce? I said, in the name of the King of Peace, I'm willing if you're willing. And in response, I received uh, uh, an email that, among other things, essentially said, there will be no truce uh, unless I apologize to him and, is an and here, change my beliefs. Um, Jason is bothered by my choice of words to describe him. I'm bothered by his choice of words to describe me. But, and he's very mad that I, he says, I've called the God of the Bible a monster. And I had to correct Jason and say, that is not what I've done. The God of the Bible is no monster. Uh, I said, your version of the God of the Bible is a monster. And, and, and so I had to clarify that. And he also says that I preach a false gospel where people are not truly regenerated, which is really an interesting claim. I don't know how you can tell uh, people who are truly regenerated and people who aren't by... Uh, the place they're attending church, you can tell by the love that they share and things like that, the fruit of their lives, but uh, how I'm preaching something where the people are not truly regenerated, I don't understand. Anyway, uh, I stand by my positions, and but there will be a truce with uh, Pastor Jason Wallace and myself, and I'll explain why in just a second. Derek and I sat down with Paul Roby and Rick Henderson of South Mountain yesterday for quite some time. And uh, there was lots to say, and we greatly appreciate their willingness to sit down and talk. Uh, we said we'd meet again, and I hope we do. Uh, I am going to cover uh, some things next week about South Mountain after I'm able to finish some research that they handed me themselves, and then I'll report on it then. Uh, if you can't tell, what we're trying to do is establish some rapport among the churches in the valley. Uh, as much as we can before phase B in 2018 is launched. Uh, that's what these talks are all about, that we can hopefully help the churches to release some of the burdens they are putting on people who enter their doors. One more thing before I get to the reason I'm going to have a truce with Jason Wallace. I received some information about the Rock Church yesterday, and it was not favorable about their uh, donation practices. So I picked up the phone and I called Bill, Bill Young. He's the senior pastor at The Rock. And he called me right back. Bill and I have known each other for quite some time. He was friendly. I told him what was uh, conveyed to me. And he said all of it was absolutely untrue. He even said the idea of what was conveyed to me made him sick to his stomach. And I was really grateful, not only for the report, but for Bill getting back to me and telling me so that I could report it to you. And it, it's cleared air and uh, more bridges built uh, in the state. So we praise God for that. Okay, most of you don't know, but Terry Long of Calvary Chapel uh, here in Salt Lake City and I have had a very uh, hot and cold relationship for more than a decade. Uh, I haven't talked to Terry face-to-face -face or online since 2012, and I allowed myself to remain distant from him. I kept myself distant. Uh, following biblical precedent, I did not speak out publicly against Terry, uh, but not following biblical counsel, I stored anger in my heart toward him without going to him directly to talk about it. 
And I've been guilty of doing that and hopefully I'm learning my lesson. That's a tough one for me. Once I think someone's on a thing, I hold it in my heart sometimes and I have to work through that. Anyway, I got an email from Terry a few weeks ago and suggested that we get together. I wrote him back and I not only challenged, hey, what are you doing giving me this invitation suddenly, uh, Pastor Long, but what's your motivation for sending it to me? And he wrote back <coughs> and he kindly said, look, let's just let Jesus get in between us here and let's move forward. <coughs> Sorry, hold on. <coughs> so we exchanged emails and Terry maintained dedication to peacemaking and healing old wounds. But as he kept giving me these things back, my emails became more and more accusatory. And he was relentless, though, in, in pursuing reconciliation between us. And so, <coughs> sorry, I finally got so fed up that I compiled a magnum opus of wrongs I was holding against him dating back 12 years. This is how long it's gone on. I mean, I was writing, I, I detailed dates, quotes, everything uh, that I was holding in my heart against him. Looked at my online journals. I, I mean, I just looked at everything I could and I composed this thing. And then uh, all the way back to 2005, before I even came to the state, he, was, uh, he and I were having problems and uh, I emailed, emailed it off and with some really belligerent closing comments. And I just thought, this will bring the old Terry back to life. This, this will cause him to be the guy I know. And nothing doing. Not at all. Uh, every time I threw down on him, he came back to me with Christian love. And patience a willingness to accept blame where there was blame on his side. And uh, even when he wasn't sure if he was culpable, he said, I'll own it. And honestly explaining where I was wrong if I was wrong, but kindly. My friends, I didn't recognize this guy through these emails. And this is going on on Thanksgiving morning. I'm reading them and I'm thinking, this is someone's got a hold of his email account. This is a different person who's writing to me, but his words were the words Jesus would have used. His words were the words I preach about us using as Christians toward each other, but they were coming from Terry Long, a pastor at Calvary Chapel. He spoke in truth. He spoke of a man who has a heart for God, and he humbly kept petitioning for us to let Jesus come in between us. I closed the last email between us on Thanksgiving. I spent some time with my fam, uh, Mary and Delaney, and, uh, but I tried to remain angry. We went to a movie, and I was thinking about it during that movie, and I went to bed that night thinking about it, and my heart was like, this guy, he's not going to play me. Uh, I know he's just feigning, et cetera, et cetera, but the spirit would not allow it, and I woke up in the morning and pressed down hard on me, on my heart. The spirit was saying, this, this is the door opening. You need to step up. And I'm telling you, it was one of the most impressive things I, I have seen in, in the life of, of someone who's a Christian, a mature Christian, a change of even more humility 
and a willingness to make things work, which is, you know, I preach the heck out of that, but this was a case where I was challenged with it and I wasn't buying into it. Uh, I saw a similar uh, spirit in Dave Nelson from K2, but D Dave uh, Nelson and I don't have the history that Terry and I have. So by dawn, the walls around my heart had fallen and humbled before God through the spirit. I, uh, I realized that Terry had arrived at a place I hadn't gotten yet. I was trailing behind, choking on the dust of past differences and still resisting growth between the two of us while he, he set the gold standard uh, truly through numerous long uh, protracted argumentative emails. He set the standard. I applaud him for his maturity in the face of my taunts and his willingness to suffer as Christ suffered. He did. And showing me what it means to be a brother uh, of the king. Uh, with the king. So with all this having happened and Pastor Terry leading the way and showing me uh, firsthand, I had to then decide, what do I do with Wallace? Wallace continues to, it's, to attack me. I was attacking Terry, but Terry didn't take it. He just said, I mean, he took it. He just took it and just said, let's, let's make peace. It just relentlessly, let's make peace. And, and so I have decided, you know, I'm going to fight back with Wallace now. And I've waited five years on the air, and now I'm going to fight back. And instead of asking Jason if he's willing to make a truce, I'm going to make the truce myself. And no more talk against flesh and blood. Will I go after institutions, churches? Yes, absolutely. That's what we're doing. And I'll continue to do that. But the warfare doesn't lie between flesh and blood. And scripture tells us that. This attack on institutions isn't going to cease. But uh, I've been shown a great example of how to be with people who love the Lord. From someone I wanted to be my enemy, and he refused to let that be. And that, that sets a tone that we need to look at. I needed to look at it. And I, and I stand uh, corrected. And, and I'm ready to move forward with more bridge building here in the state. Okay, so last week we took some time to describe the hows and whys. The Christian churches today are going to radically have to change in the future if they want to remain operational. And we suggested that the following factors were going to play a major role in the future in these changes. One, the churches won't be able to keep up with what the demands of the people will be. Number two, the millennials and their demands will not be sustained. Uh, governmental impositions will inhibit them from everything. Corporate sway will infringe upon them. And finally, societal forces at large will force them to make major adaptations or they'll have to close their doors. I suggested these forces will ultimately be inescapable and will forever alter the complexion of organized religion as it is known today. In an extremely timely manner, John DeLynn, uh, you know John in this state, he's got this outreach to Mormons and, and everybody else who's left God. And John sent an email to me, to everybody, and it said, double your donations to our nonprofit tomorrow. I got it yesterday. And so I opened it up and he explained that Bill and Melinda Gates of Microsoft fame were offering to match any donations up to $2 million 
to any nonprofit starting at 6 a.m. this morning. That's today. And that if, if you donated, John was saying, if you donate 10 bucks to our, uh, our nonprofit, Bill and Melinda Gates will give us another 10 bucks and you'll double your donation. So jump on it right at 6 a.m. because uh, it's, when the money runs out, the money will be gone. So John was encouraging his group to donate because he's gonna get matching contributions from Gates. But I'll guarantee you, Bill Gates and Melinda Gates are not gonna match the donations to a church. That will not happen. Uh, I, I can almost guarantee it. They'll match it to whatever humanist organization is out there that wants the money. And all I'm, I'm using this to show you an example of how corporate sway is going to take over. And that's where the money is going to go. And the churches and their donations will suffer in the future. Anyway, while these things are my, uh, are my opinion, I think they're inevitable. There are some... Um, forces or responses internally that churches can do, and I'm calling it the 12-step program, churches can do to offset these deleterious actions that are going to be heaped upon them in the future. We might recall that our primary goal here on HOTM 2.0 is to help remove and reduce anything that serves as bondage upon people seeking Christ. I propose that the more bondage a church is able to eradicate from the lives of their believers, the more bondage they're able to remove from the lives of their people, the more resistant that particular church will be to these external forces trying to close their doors. Now, let me boldly present to you 12 things I am going to stand on. People will not like them. People will say you're nuts. We'll use the Bible to show why they are supported by the Bible. I'm not using them as an inventive idea to do this. I'm using what the Bible suggests clearly. And when you hear the 12, you're going to probably say you're nuts. That stuff's not in the Bible. It is in the Bible. So uh, I propose these measures because they're in the Bible. Remember that. Some of you will recoil. You'll shout heretic from the, counter, from the rooftops, countertops too. But in the end, give me a chance. Just hear me out on what some internal things churches can do to prevent the external forces from shutting them down. So I'm going to go up to the board here. Steve, our new camera operator, hopefully he has stayed out of the uh, communion wine tonight, uh, can follow along. First of all, we need, as churches... The leadership, the leadership, the management of the churches, we need to end all claims of authority. We have to end all claims, all inferences that we have an authority over those people. That's number one. We need to stop pretending, because that's what we're doing, by the way, uh, that anyone in the church has some sort of uh, religious allegiance they have to give to the person teaching. Uh, the only authority a person might be under in a church or in a gathering of believers is under the person who pays the bills and, 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 and plans the scheduling for the room that they meet in and they're just under their authority as, hey, that, that room's scheduled for that, that night. You can't use it. 
or no, we, we got to cut down on using the paper towels that way, that kind of thing, administratively fine. But if, if you're talking about, I stand between God and you, and you need to come to me and talk to me about how to do anything in this life, I suggest that that needs to end. Uh, you see, education, degrees, licenses from schools does not bestow authority. There is not a Protestant pastor on this earth who can show they have any authority from God. And the Bible does not bestow authority upon men. If the Bible can be read by one guy and it can be read by another girl, it's equal in authority. So we don't, can't say the Bible gives us our authority either. If you have a call on your life, that call is for you to be a servant, not to have authority. So that's the first thing. Authority doesn't exist. Uh, pastors, reverends need to stop acting like it is. And let me give you a far out radical. I've talked about it before, but just let me give you an example of, of something. Church weddings and marriages. This is a modern construct by man. I'm sure it started way back in, you know, 200, 300, 500. I don't know when it started. And, and maybe they took it from the Jews because they had their wedding celebrations. But it's not biblical. There's nowhere in the Bible where any person of authority steps in and performs a marriage or a wedding. Nowhere. It's not there. So um, pastors do not, should not be performing wedding ceremonies. They shouldn't do it. We started doing it. It's accepted now. And what have we got ourselves in? Trouble. Because now there's other people who want to be married that some pastors don't agree with that and stuff. And so now you got to start deciding. So the government's going to come in. So look at, we should never have been performing marriages in the first place because we have no authority to do it because it's not a biblical tenant. In the Garden of Eden, there was no marriage ceremony performed. Uh, at, when uh, they were one and that was it. When Abraham took Hagar to be his wife, a pastor didn't show up and perform something. What did Abraham do? Hagar said, I'll go in the tent with you, Abraham. And Sarah said, you can do it. And Abraham said, okay. And there was the marriage. It's when the two become one. That is what a marriage is in God's eyes. So why we don't and haven't stuck with that teaching in the church, but instead have created this myth of an authoritative figure performing and saying something so that two people can feel like their union is okay with God has nothing to do with the biblical reality. Now, you can say that is so radical, it's so dangerous. It's true. You cannot prove it differently to me. It's exactly what the Bible shows us. It never says, have the person perform this, this vow for the couple, okay? So, this is the biblical model. I'm not speaking of wedding celebrations here, which are in the Bible, parties and all that. I'm talking about performing things. So if we begin to teach some authority properly, we'll be released from having to marry anyone. And therefore, the doors can't be shut down because you're not going to continue on with the myth of doing marriages in the first place. You get it? But if we keep playing the stupid game that men created, 
of I want a church wedding and I want the pastor to seal it with the spirit of his authority. It's baloney. It just is. Okay. I think it's only fair and reasonable that all churches, number two, stop teaching that Jesus has not returned. You notice how I put that? Notice, for argument's sake, how I put it. I did not say that Jesus will not be coming back. There's people who want to believe that. Go ahead. Nor did I say that the world is not headed for disaster. We might be. But if we are honest, we have to begin to unitedly admit what the Bible teaches contextually, that he and his apostles and the book of Revelation all support the notion that he came back and with reward and with judgment on his own. We have to start saying, we can't, Jesus has not returned. We, does that make sense? Jesus has not returned. Double negative. We, it's not a double negative. We have to start teaching he returned. What it means to futurism and everything else, that's why partial preterists are growing so rapidly in the, in the Christian faith. Because their eyes are opening. There are periods of times when eyes of Christians open to new things. They are opening to partial preterism. And what the partial preterist says is, he came back, like he said. We think it might have been a first coming of a second. He's going to come again. There's all this, all this other stuff. But their eyes have been opened to it. Because the Bible clearly teaches it. And we are not being fair by not teaching it. So I don't think we can accept that Jesus was wrong or his apostles were wrong. I think the Bible is right, and we need to teach it that it is right, what they said was right, and it happened. These will go a long way to fixing problems with our brick and mortar. Three, we need to start teaching people the Word of God. Weekend, week out, the Word of God. Yeah, there'll be an exception every now and then, whatever. But they, you have to teach the word. Now listen, you don't teach them your words. And you don't teach them your interpretation and just tell the stories. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it divides between soul and spirit. It has power in the word. And listen, shepherds are to feed the flock. What? The word of God. This cannot be passed off to a small group leader in his home who has three kids, he's an engineer, and he's never read the Bible. And he has people come over once a month in their small group, and, and the pastor says that's where they're getting the word. No. If you have a call in your life to be a pastor, the pastor's job is to feed the flock the word of God. If we're not doing that, we are losing our purpose for being churches. Okay? The next one is, I would suggest that the faith is subjective and not objectively understood. So, um, and what that means is, we're going to have to step away from this is what you must believe and step more toward this is, these are the options of what the scripture says. You can take it how you want to take it. That's between you and the Holy Spirit. There are numerous di divisions on this subject. I like this one. Other people like that one. 
And that makes the faith subjective, which it is anyway, because people exit and they believe what they want. So why don't we just stop trying to make it this, because this is what creates the division and fighting between denominations and, 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 and the arguments between people. So let's just agree with what it is, because why? Because in this day, God has written his law on the minds and hearts of his believers. And they have him with him, and he is their God, and they are his people. So let's start treating it that way, that we're in that period of time, and not a book of objective things people must understand the way you are telling them they have to understand it. Okay. Additionally, number five, I think we need to start really rethinking, relooking through the Bible, the subject of hell and afterlife punishment. Was, is hell a reality in the scripture? Of course it is. Is it taught? Certainly. What, what is done with hell? Hell is cast into the lake of fire in the book of Revelation. If the book's complete, then we have something that, that, that has served its purpose. Satan cast into the lake of fire. So if you start to see it in those terms as the book's complete, then we have to rethink what does this all mean? And we have to get away, I think, from um, the myths that were created because uh, Augustine didn't like his flesh because he loved sex so much that he believed the flesh had to be burned away. And he came up with all those ideas about the fire literally burning against the flesh when if we do a real slow, solid study of the word, there is far more information to show that afterlife punishment is purgative and not punitive. It has a purpose. It isn't just for the sole enjoyment of torturing souls who were uh, uh, rebellious against God. Okay, and then if we go to number six, I think we not... This one's going to be tough for most people. I think we have to stop dogmatically trying to describe God. Uh, uh, that means in absolute, absolute terms of definitive man-made certainty. We need to stop trying to describe and make people recite the idea that God is this and it's something men have created to explain him. I think he's bigger than that. I think we can agree with some tenets about God. There's one God. I think we can all say that. I think we can say that Jesus was God in the flesh. I think we can say the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. And if those work in your mind to be Trinitarian, fine. If they don't, fine. But I think we need to step away from dogmatically describing God with these legalistic terms that men have created so as to create certainty, so as to propagate a packaged religion that they can get everybody to embrace and those who don't, they can cut out of the body because they don't agree with them. That isn't how it works. God purposely left himself ambiguous when it came to him and his relationship with his son and the Holy Spirit and did not lay it out clearly for all of us to say, certainly this is exactly it. We have our Calvinistic lawyers out there and they want to make sure, and not even not just Calvinists, they want to make sure everybody has it right. I think we need to get away from that and I think we need to step back and say, you worship God in spirit and truth, 
We suggest these are, this is what has been taught historically. We suggest these things. You decide for yourself. The next one, number seven, is I believe we need to stop preferring, uh, and I'm just going to put that there because I'm tired of writing. We need to stop preferring one systematic theology over another, meaning I think we need to stop trying to get everybody to be in Calvin's camp or in Arminius camp or any camp that, again, it's like this subject. Let's just, you know, let's just talk about the views and let's just calm down on that. I think we need to also put an end to building plans. I think there should be a moratorium on church building. I think churches, we should just unitedly, at least in the United States, rise up together as believers and say no more churches. No more building of churches. Let's change what we're doing. Let's deconstruct and use the assets for something else. Uh, uh, we had a conversation with... Um, uh, a church a while ago where uh, they spent over six million dollars on their church and uh, my partner Derek who's a businessman uh, pointed out just imagine you could have taken you know 500 grand of that and gotten a building and and uh, used 5.5 million to do something different something better why do why do Christians have to meet in six million dollar buildings where did, how did we allow that to happen? You know, was it the Catholic influence and their ornate stuff? I don't know. But I think this is a step in the right direction. Uh, begin to deconstruct rather than to get more people burdened to build a new building. And number nine, I think that we need to remember that there is a distinct line between church and state. And I don't think that line should ever be crossed. In other words, churches should not be involved in the politics and the politicians should not be involved in the churches. And if we can help tease that apart, I think it'd be wonderful and a step in the right direction for our survival. And then of course, number 10, I have to include this one because it's my pet peeve and that is uh, put an end to that word and hopefully put an end to taking up uh, collections and again, alleviate that burden. Uh, but we'll see how that goes. And then I think number 11 is to finally see the Bible for what it is. Instead of it being a legal book, uh, seeing it for being a beautiful, inspired word of God that when you read it, the spirit moves in and it cleanses your soul and it helps you see God between the lines and Jesus' love for us and the spirit and not the musts and do's and don'ts and you betters and or you will if you're really a believer. It just let this book be seen in an entirely new way. And finally, uh, to really step in and shake up the scene, it's so vitally important, number 12, for believers today to realize that God has had the total uh, victory. And if we are able as believers to embrace that, we will be able to look at people of all faiths with faith. We'll be able to believe all things, hope all things when we talk to people who differ with us. When we believe that he has had the victory through his son, we trust that the outcome uh, is perfectly in his mind. If someone dies without him, we have the outcome perfectly in our minds that he has had the total victory. 
when a horrible thing happens, we have in our minds that he has had the total victory. These 12 steps, I uh, am convinced, will go a long way to helping the church uh, fight those forces that are trying to uh, tear us apart. Let's open up the phone lines, 801-590-8413, I don't know if there's any calls. If there is not, no? How much time left? 10 minutes, man, I went a long time. Really quickly, got an email. Sean, I wonder if you could leak me to an update video you have regarding what the Bible teaches on hell. I know the church standard evangelical point of view. It confuses me. I'm a believer in Christ, born again. Not a regular churchgoer as such. Tried to be, but never really stuck with it. Uh, we'll send uh, Adrian the links to those discussions on hell, but why didn't Adrian stick with it? Uh, why, isn't, why aren't more people sticking with it when they're going to the churches? Because more and more the LDS and the millennials and the astute seekers are searching for a church uh, and they're hoping to see uh, change, the changes we were just talking about. So something to consider. Our brother Norris uh, in New Zealand, a great friend, he writes some great things and he thinks that the approach is great because it brings things to light and it helps, the truth helps set people free. So even though it's tough and we're up there saying, up here saying things that cause some, some difficulty, uh, there is goodness in bringing things to light is what he's saying. And I've seen that uh, personally with uh, like Terry Long and, and other uh, pastors opening the subjects up, bringing them out. Yeah, it can cause some uproar initially, but boy, it's a healthy thing. So, and he also says, uh, Sean, you can't do it alone. Don't be disheartened um, and uh, keep on doing what you're doing. Keep spreading the love and spreading the kingdom that cannot be shaken. I love that phrase. Uh, that's the kingdom we're a part of. It's an amazing thing being a child of God in the age that was to come. Ooh, all the way from New Zealand. Thanks, my brother. I love it. And uh, then uh, here it says, I contacted you a few weeks back about my girlfriend leaving Mormonism. You said to be careful about what churches we choose to attend. She's just coming out of the Mormon faith. I thought about this and have been trying many different Christian churches in the valley. So I'm assuming it's Salt Lake. And it seems like it is too much to ask to find a church or a body that teaches out of the word for an hour. I have found these churches are geared to gain a following and present different series to try and entertain the community rather than teach the word. He's a Christian. I am craving the word and try to read my Bible and I'm having difficult time understanding a lot of the words. So that's why I look for a good church or gathering of individuals and a pastor who is able to teach the word and not have it all extra social club stuff going on. I was hoping you could help me point uh, a direction to where you can find this, uh, or are we better off trying to understand it ourselves? Uh, it's up to you, you know. You can understand it yourself. You can sit and read it yourself, and you can get it with the Spirit. And it doesn't hurt to hear other views. Don't have to agree with them. Of course, I'm going to push campus. Uh, you can watch online, campuschurch.tv. You can show up here at 10. That's milk. That's what you want. You don't want meat. And, uh, and, and that, and I know there are other churches. Uh, if you're in Brigham City, I, uh, uh, Jim Catlin, I know he teaches the word. And uh, there are other churches out there that teach the word. Terry Long, I know, teaches the word. Uh, so uh, there's, there's places where you can get that. 
And I have always said a good Calvary Chapel, uh, I don't agree with them on a lot of things, but they typically do focus on teaching the word. Uh, and so just to let you know before we wrap it up, oh, we got Martha in Florida on line one, but one last thing before we take Martha. Uh, campuschurch.tv, we have stores of video archive sermons of the word being taught. And also uh, we have HOTM is in the process of being revamped. And that's why when you type in HOTM, it comes up HOTM.faith and you don't see the standard website. Uh, it's being rebuilt by Michael in Sweden. And so we're waiting for that to happen. In the meantime, be patient with us. Let's go to uh, Martha in Florida. Martha, you're on Heart of the Matter. Oh, hello. Um, yes, um, Sean, thanks for taking my call. Um, I got a, um, a magazine. I get the magazine from the Utah Lighthouse Ministry, and this month's issue had um, a certificate in it, a notarized certificate. Um, the Mormon Church claims that they're run by apostles, but on the notarized certificate, the uh, corporation certificate, it just has Thomas Monson as the person who runs it. And then there's three other men on the certificate that I think help out with finances, but none of them are the apostles, and that, to me, is contradictory. They claim to be the true church based on, you know, having apostles, yeah. but it's not, it's not on that certificate. Oh, and I agree with you that um, uh, people should have uh, their weddings, like at a city hall, um, and no, like, fancy church weddings with, like, the $1,000 wedding gowns. Yeah. We need, we need to get away from that. Amen. And then churches that build these million-dollar buildings. I agree. Um, that's not, that is, um, that's oppressive. And it's um, the church buying phony gold. And um, um, some of these fancy weddings, um, I've been to fancy weddings, and the uh, marriage has ended. And my wedding was just a real small wedding. It was a very tiny wedding because that's what I believe in. And I'm still married to my husband. <laughs> and um, we wore silver wedding bands. And I didn't have a diamond engagement ring. Uh, my mother's birthstone is a garnet, so I had a garnet engagement ring. I mean, people people called me, you know, Mrs. Cheap. But, hey, um, that's no, beautiful. I, yeah, I mean, hey. Well, I mean, churches... Churches want people uh, to buy these, like, uh, bride, uh, uh, women are sometimes pressured into being bridesmaids, and those bridesmaids' gowns can be expensive. <laughs> um, when I was in college, uh, my college roommate said she hated it when people wanted her to be a bridesmaid. Because <laughs> those I mean, it, she found it annoying, and, uh, but she was in a position where she had to, like, go be bridesmaid a lot, and, I mean, those gowns are expensive, and... I mean, it's just people getting rich off of you. Yeah, no. yeah, it's, and, I agree. And I agree, and also I agreed with your twelve-step program. <laughs> I agree with pretty much all you said. I mean, the the church organized religion. Um, it, there's a difference between Christianity and organized religion. The two are just so separate. Amen. That, I mean, it's you know, it's like. Um, people thinking that they're going to get a Harvard education um, by yeah. going to Disney World. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, that's, it's, I mean hey. I've been to good churches and churches where they taught the Bible, but then I've been to some churches um, where that it was about money. Yeah. And, and it's, it's just sad to see that. I, 
I used to be angry about stuff like that, but now I kind of feel sorry for those people. I would agree. Um, My sister, yeah, we have some other calls, but hey, thank you okay. so much. And also, uh, thank you for sharing that about what uh, UTLM sent out. I think that's really beneficial. Okay, um, do you want me to send you the copy of the certificate? I, I'd love it. Okay, I will. I'll get it in the mail tomorrow. And uh, th uh, thanks for doing Heart of the Matter. You're welcome. God bless you. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm. Love that accent. This girl with a southern accent. And we're going to line three. We've got Matt. Hey, Sean. How are you? Hey, Matt. Doing well. How are you? I'm all right. Hey, I uh, caught you on YouTube after some Mormon missionaries came to my door. Oh. So, thanks for that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so um, I, I was watching tonight, and I saw where you said uh, God's already finished everything. Jesus has already won the victory. Yeah. I really like that. Praise God. Yeah. So I was wondering what you thought of, like, looking at life kind of like um, like a bank account, and you have a certain amount in your bank account, yeah. and eventually you're going to be out of it, and you're going to be standing in front of Jesus, and it's going to be more about, did you look to me for guidance? Did you love other people? Did you serve other people? Did you look to me to fulfill the plan that I had for you individually? Like, do you see in the Bible? Or? I think there's, uh, I think there's principles that teach support that. I th certainly. Okay. Was that your question? Yeah, I, I wanted to get your your that since I know you've studied the Bible a lot. You went to that that school up there, so. <laughs> yeah. The. Uh, um, you know, uh, Matt, I think that the Bible certainly does support that view that, you know, when we die, how was your relationship with Christ? Did you look to him? Did you trust him? Did you seek him? Uh, you know, and Jesus said this about his father. He said, you know, the time now is that God seeks for those who seek him in spirit and in truth. And it's such an important principle that those seekers are looking for him in their life. God wants that from us, so I think that you've hit on a really good point. Okay. Yeah, I guess I looked at it like, uh, like spend your time on, on eternally valuable things, I guess. And that's yeah. what you would have on Judgment Day, basically. Yeah. Not all the do's and don'ts. I mean, of course, loving God in a way that, that causes you to do and don't do certain things, but... Amen. Okay. I love it, right. brother. Well, Keep going. Hey, I got oh, one, one more, more question, real quick. Oh. So these Mormons, I've been uh, basically, I guess, using the Socratic method on them in a way. Uh huh. How do I make sure that they don't fall away if they end up researching the New Testament and all that? And just, you know, you've talked about some Mormons just fall away completely from believing in God. Like, I don't want to make that happen, you know? Yeah. So you got any advice on that? You know, well, the only insight I have on that, Matt, is God, like you just said, he's Jesus has had the victory, and the Holy Spirit will uh, bring them around to where they need to be. You share Jesus. Have you been born again? Have you been born again to those LDS boys? Have you been born again? And you just keep preaching that. And when they really sincerely question that and are born again, you don't have to worry about them abiding in the vine. I think they certainly will. Okay. All right. Yeah. So I, I, I mean, I really like that approach over most of them in, in asking them, Elder, I love you, whatever it is you're up to, okay, but have you been born again? Your own Book of Mormon teaches about have you experienced the mighty change? 
And in the Bible, Jesus made it an imperative to you. You must be born again to even see the kingdom of God. So, Elder, I want to know, have you been born again? And he'll say something, either yes, no, or I'm trying to be is usually what they yeah. say. And I asked him, and I asked this one I was talking to, and he said it happened at his baptism in the water. Yeah, they believe that. They believe in baptismal regeneration. They believe that that is when they're born again. It's not a spiritual manifestation. It's actually the water is them being born again. And they enter. Yeah, I looked at it like the water was like, like, like getting them ready for the baptism of fire in a way. Yeah, no. You know, the Holy Spirit baptism that came after that. No, but, that's not really how the Mormons no. would see that. They would see okay. that gift of the Holy Ghost is the is them getting actually getting through their priesthood that baptism of the Holy Spirit which follows right after baptism in water. So uh, yeah, and when, so if they say I got it at baptism, uh, then you can start breaking that down and talk about John three uh, with them and talk about how that does not mean water baptism there when Jesus said you must be born of the water and of the Spirit. It does not mean water baptism, and you can uh, you can articulate that to them in a good way, and it will help them understand rebirth. John three, okay. All right, I'll look into that. All right, brother. God All right, bless thanks, you. Sean. Keep up the good work. Same to you. All right, bless bye. You. Love you too. Someone wants to talk after the show, so guess what? We're going to end the show, and we'll see you next week. We are out. <laughs>